ever wonder, what's the deal with this China place? With over a billion people of 55 different minorities, China's products, inventions, and impact can be seen around the world. And yet, China remains a mystery to most. The Chinese Graffiti Podcast digs into Chinese culture, art, fashion, innovation, and more. One girl's journey to discover an old nation in a new light. Here is your host, Jessica Later, a New York-based consultant who spent the last 10 years specializing in Sinology. Now, let's dive in. Welcome to the Chinese Graffiti Podcast. I'm so excited for today's episode, and I want to welcome Connie Chi for joining me here on the Chinese Graffiti Podcast. Um, there's so much I want to start discussing with you about um, marketing and branding and your company and you know international uh, markets and consumers, and uh, I really just can't wait to dive in with you. So thank you so much for being here today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate coming on and sharing some really great content with your audience. So I'm excited. Yeah, I'm sure everybody's just super excited to hear what you have to say. So um, just as a disclaimer to everybody, we are at a WeWork in Midtown Manhattan. So if you hear any background noise, it's just other people hard at work. Um, so Connie, just give us a quick intro into what you do in your company. Yeah, sure. So I actually own the Chi Group, which is a branding agency. And what we do is we humanize and co-brand brands. So it's a little bit different than your average branding agency. So what we do focus on is building the experience and we do that through different um, co-branding opportunities and really taking a brand and making it human, if you will. So can you explain what it means to humanize a brand? Yeah. So basically, when you have a brand, you want to be able to give it a personality, right? Because your customer is a human being. So the only way your customer is going to resonate with you is if you have a humanistic kind of characteristic mm -hmm. to your brand and how you are portraying yourself to the world, essentially. Well, that makes total sense. I mean, you want to create a brand around the people who are going to be buying it, correct? Right, and absolutely. so the interesting part about that is um, you have to sort of tailor that depending on who the consumer is and what market you're trying to attract. So is there a current project that you are working on that you feel really passionate about or a certain sector of the industry that you love to work with? Oh my God, there's so many, so many projects. Um, but one of my favorites, I have to say, would be Fashion Week Brooklyn. Okay. That's my favorite project. Um, I'm currently working on their next season. So it's a great platform for a lot of these like emerging creative talents to just kind of showcase their work. Mm -hmm. And how did you get started with that? Like it's a funny story, actually. Okay. The director of Fashion Week Brooklyn literally just reached out to me on LinkedIn. Oh, really? It was the beauty of LinkedIn. The Always. beauty of LinkedIn. <laughs> right, right. So Rick Davey, that's the director of Fashion Week Brooklyn. He sent me this message. I love what you guys are doing. You know, let's see if we can collaborate. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, of course. Why would you turn that down? That <laughs> right. seems like an obvious opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And just for everybody listening right now, I spoke on a panel that Connie asked me to speak yes. on about genderless fashion during Brooklyn Fashion Week, which was an incredibly exciting group of intellectuals and people who are in the industry. And everyone had some really yeah. great things to offer. And those are the kinds of things that Connie works on. And it's really pretty revolutionary and really interesting um, for the up and coming fashion market and for the different kinds of people who are uh, trying to buy these fashions and who are, you know, as we change as a, as a 
global community and um, all the different things that we are perplexed and confronted with. It's nice to always be talking about that and have a conversation about it. And when you're in the branding industry, those things are always evolving and you really have to keep abreast of everything that's going on worldwide, nationwide, everything. So it's ever changing, ever changing. Yeah. 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 So right now you are based in New York, Mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. Um, So are you interested in branching out to an international um, companies or into international markets? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's like the goal, right? right so to take over the world. That's right. always the goal. <laughs> right. Exactly. So of course, you know, branching out into international markets is something that we're looking at for a long-term goal, long-term project. And one of the markets that we're really looking at right now is the Chinese market. All right. Well, here we go. That's exactly why I wanted to talk to you. (laughs) Part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you because obviously I have an invested interest in that. Sure. Um, Do you want to tell me a little bit maybe more why you are interested in the Chinese market? Yeah. So right now, if you are paying close attention to the trajectory of what's going on with a consumer in the Chinese market, what's happening is they're being exposed to a lot of products and brands. A lot of them are Western brands. A lot of them are Western plus Asian brands. So what does that mean? And why is that significant is because as they're being exposed to these brands, they themselves will now want different things from brands. They Mm -hmm. will want an experience, not just the price. They're going to want a story. They want to be romanticized. And that's growing, you know, as as the brands grow, as the community, as, you know, consumers are more versed in what these products and brands are doing. So they are essentially also reaching out to Western brands and traveling around the world. And um, they are sort of the future of what fashion or really any industry is going to look like because they're newer to the market. And although at the moment it sort of seems like, at least from what I understand, you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, a lot of Generation Z, I guess, um, they're right now kind of in this interim of trying to buy Western products, for lack of a better word, copy Western brands. Um, And I don't like the word copy because that kind of puts a bad connotation on the whole made in China thing that I'm trying to, you know, destigmatize. But um, for the sake of the conversation, it is kind of been apparent that the trend is to copy Western um, designers and brands and learn from people who have already been doing these things for a long time. Um, But they're also trying to change that made in China stereotype and uh, create their own Chinese brand, you know, trying to reflect back on their heritage or trying to be proud of being Chinese versus, you know, uh, just being international, I guess. Um, But do you feel like um, branding, your branding tactics work could work in China? Or do you think you'd have to adapt what you do? You know, I mean, first off, in a general kind of overview, yes, it would work. Because if you look at the Gen Zs, Mm -hmm. they're also wanting an experience. So right now, they're in this limbo, like you said, trying to figure out who they are. Eventually, they're going to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Once they figure out who they are and what they're seeking, they're going to want an experience around them. Mm -hmm. So that's the first piece. Mm -hmm. And then as far as adapting to it, you're going to always have to adapt based on a cultural perspective. Whether you're in South America or Africa or Asia, you're going to have to adapt based on the way that they are processing the world, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. if you look at us as consumers from the American side, we're very free and, you know, unicorns and fairies and things (laughs) like that. right? Right. But you go into the Chinese market, the consumer there is very disciplined 
they're very conservative in some ways, though that is also changing as the younger generation starts to be more aware of what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And also in terms of humanizing and telling the stories about the, about your brands, um, you have to be really careful in China because there are so many minorities and there are so many different parts of China. You can't just chunk it all into Correct. one, yeah. you know, you can say it's one country, but it's, it's so many, it's such a diverse community yeah. that like, uh, I'm assuming from a branding perspective, that can be incredibly complex. Um, I know even just from a language perspective, you know, it's sure. difficult to adapt. Yep. But and in translation, you have to be careful as to who you're talking to because, mm -hmm. and you may not even understand it. People who think that I speak Mandarin, but think I'll understand everybody in China, but that's just not true. Um, but then again, from a branding level, like if you're trying to tell a story, if you're somewhere in Sichuan, but if you're also trying to brand in Shanghai, those are completely different Absolutely. areas of China. So um, if you are going to be expanding in internet into China, are, what is like the first step of research that you're going to try to do, I guess, for a brand that's interested in two different markets? That is a really great question. It's a very good question. You know, I think it boils down to first and foremost, you have to go back to the basics of what exactly is the goal for this brand, mm -hmm. right? It's not enough these days to just to say, I have a product, buy it and end of story, right? Because mm -hmm. consumers today don't buy like that anymore. Right. So you essentially have to do a lot of market research and really understand who exactly is your consumer. Mm -hmm. Because again, your product is not for everybody. So you have to figure out who your consumer is and what is it that your goals are as a brand and figure out where is that sweet spot of right. where the two can kind of merge and at least start that conversation, right? So right. it's kind of like dating. Right, 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 right. right. So right. that's what it is. And um Right. I mean, that's exactly true. You have to kind of figure out what works. And I've also heard a lot about, you know, Chinese buyers online versus buying it in store and trying to figure out what the best way to like, you know, launch a product in China really is. Do you have an opinion on whether or not yeah, which um, one is more effective? I have to say I'm a huge fan of online and okay. I'll tell you why. When you come to market with something that's brand new, a product that no one's really heard about and when you put it online, you actually decrease the amount of money you need to overhead, things mm -hmm. like that. You know, inventory, mm -hmm. that's all decreased. Mm -hmm. But now if you do a freestanding store, as much as it's very sexy and great and, you know, fun, you have to now think about as a startup, how much money do you need to raise in order to build this brand? Mm -hmm. So by launching it online is a good space for you to almost test market. Mm -hmm. So you can do A-B testing, you can test if this product has any need for this product, mm -hmm. you know, what your consumers are saying about it. So online is the way to go. Yeah, yeah. I I think a lot of people would agree with you. Um, there's obviously, even when I was in, in China and I was kind of shopping with my, I don't know, my friends who were like, you know, they go on to Zara and they would, they'd see they'd see the physical item, but they still wouldn't even buy it there, you know. Right. So they always want to compare price compare and of course they're unless you are the elite of the elite and you're yeah. you know and you can really like create like a a flagship that has this amazing cool theme to it it's kind of not as it's a little anticlimactic for a lot of right. buyers there yeah. um i know also that in china a lot of western brands are still incredibly unknown um and a lot of for example i read a really cool case study on johnny walker i believe it was that did like a a huge store museum that kind of walked people through the history of of the company okay. and how it came to be 
what it is and introduced their brand that way, making it incredibly interactive. Um, And I've read a lot of interactive experiences have really won over Chinese buyers um, in in China, whether, I mean, outside of China, they just figured that out, I guess, on their own time. But that was a really cool way for them to introduce themselves by making it like a kind of a lesson, an inter- yeah. interesting lesson. Do oh, you, yeah. you agree with that kind of yeah, strategy? I mean, it goes back to the whole experience part, right? So right. we as human beings and consumers, we want to touch, feel, smell, taste, yeah. right? Use our yeah. senses. That's how we process the world, even as kids. Mm-hmm. So that's something so innate that it carries over into our buying patterns, into decisions that we make. Right, definitely. Yeah, I mean, there was another, speaking of you know, experiences. A couple of months ago, I don't know if you saw this, but I was reading an article where they are using now facial recognition software for you to pay for your food at a KFC store, KFC restaurant. I didn't see that. That's interesting. In China. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's super (laughs) I saw something about that in bathrooms actually which was really weird but in China they were trying to regulate um, bathroom usage (laughs) so they literally had a face scanner in the bathroom stall that would scan your face and then it would administer toilet paper for as much as you would need right not to waste toilet paper right because there wasn't even toilet paper in in stalls bathroom stalls in China a couple years ago you'd have to bring your own tissue paper which is horrible but anyway um, and then if you were ever in trouble it would have your face already documented But how would it know how much you need, though? They're making sure that they tell you you only need three sheets. <laughs> so that's too funny. You know, China is a very interesting place, and um, always revolutionizing everything down to the bathroom. I love it. Um, so we didn't really talk about this in the beginning, but how did you get into marketing and branding? What drew you to doing that as your passion for your for what your company stands for? Well, I actually went to school for marketing, okay. advertising, mm-hmm. communications. Um, I actually picked it because someone told me it was an easy major. Mm. So I was like, all right, all right we cool. can wing this easy, one. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's like, wait a second, there's something really interesting here. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the psychology of, of marketing, the psychology of the consumer, you know, colors and experiences and all that kind of stuff. And as I started to fulfill more roles along my career path in marketing, I just found this to be absolutely fascinating how you can, as one person or as a brand, tap into the mindset of one person or a group of people. Mm-hmm. So I decided to now start pursuing this career. And on top of that, it's a twofold thing because I started to become really unhappy at a lot of these jobs. Mm-hmm. So They were all marketing jobs? Related? Some of them were sales. Some of them was marketing related. And eventually I got really good at getting fired. <laughs> so, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> so it means I, I knew what to do to get fired, right? right okay. I probably shouldn't be saying this on No, podcast, it just means right? that you were against the grain, which is why totally people who are against it. the grain start their own companies. Totally so it seems like you're grain. in line with everyone yeah, else. <laughs> absolutely. So Not a bad thing. That's how this all started. Yeah. And um, I mean, there is a really interesting component to it because I... I've, always gravitated towards trying to understand the consumer psychology and there is a significant amount of psychology and sociology involved in marketing and branding and um, you have to really understand the markets and the people and you have to be a people person as well so that's yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's definitely a plus mm-hmm. but the funny thing is I'm actually an introvert 
I think everyone's a little bit of an introvert. No, I tested. I oh, you are actually yeah, an, an introvert. Actual intro, introvert. <laughs> oh, because you do the behind the scenes work. You have everyone else right, doing right, it, exactly. but you don't seem like an introvert. <laughs> Every time I talk to you, you're so incredibly outgoing and friendly. That Thank seems very you. opposite of what you actually are. <laughs> but I guess we're all each our own harshest Heart. critics. Yeah. Um, was anyone else in your family in marketing or... Was that no, kind of a? I came from a family of teachers and musical prodigies. Really? Yeah. So, so are you musically inclined as well? So I did play the piano for about fifteen years, cool. and then realized it's a starving artist job. <laughs> side passion, side hustle. Right. It's a side hustle thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I guess you know you ha- you have to have some kind of creative brain to do marketing and yeah. branding as well. So yeah, it plays into that for sure. Yeah. Um, and your family is originally from Taiwan, not from mainland China, yes, right? Yes, that's correct. And so do you feel that um, entering the Taiwanese market would be very different from entering the mainland market? Yeah, I think so. Because the Taiwanese market, um, in some ways, the consumer is a little bit more educated in brands and you know the way that these brands are kind of portraying themselves, the brand message, brand story. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit ahead of the curve when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. As opposed to in China, a lot of them are still learning about this process. So in China, it's going to be a lot of educating mm-hmm. before you can start any brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it is a different. It's a very big difference between the two. Sure. And. Um, Again, just to reiterate to everyone listening, you have to be careful when you are entering a new market. You have to know the nuances. You have to know the people. You have to know everything before you do it because a lot of companies have a tendency to see profit and see new opportunity and rush. Mm -hmm. And that is the downfall of many companies from what what I understand. And uh, it doesn't hurt to to rush into anything. I guess the... What are they saying? That the... um, cart before the horse or yeah horse or the i was gonna i was gonna say the uh the what is it with the turtle loses because the turtle's the slowest before the i forget this saying but never mind it's <laughs> i can't remember what it is anyway um so yeah we sort of touched on the new made in china and um i guess that's kind of one of those terms that just sort of keeps circulating because we see it everywhere and i talked about it in my last podcast about what really made in china means and how we're trying to change what that means um and i guess i'm wondering like do you see a projected timeline of how long you think it'll take to reinvent that phrase because i know everybody everyone's everyone's talking about it because of, at least yeah. from the manufacturing side everyone is talking about that and trying to get yeah. that label on your kids toys or on your clothing Right. Into turning into like also like not a stigma against bad quality. So right. I'm just curious how long you think that that could take a while. I that guess. could. I mean, it, it definitely can because if you take the Made in China label in general and look at it from the perspective of if it's a brand. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's a brand that's been putting out a message for 20, 30 years. They need to do a rebrand. Right. Made in China needs a rebrand. It needs a rebrand. <laughs> that's basically what it is. Yeah. It needs a rebrand. And I think that's going to take some time because now you have to re-educate and rebuild that trust with consumers, mm-hmm. showing them, yes, made in China doesn't mean your item is going to fall apart in two hours. Right. You know? So yeah. it's going to take, I would say, probably another 20 20 yeah, years there's or a so. long road ahead it but is i think it's kind of a collaborative effort it's not just a one person thing and it yeah. could take a really long time and right. it's but i think that it could happen definitely especially because things are improving in china that you know sure quality of life is going up and uh, manufacturing is starting to move elsewhere yeah at least cheap labor is moving elsewhere so right. um it's being absorbed and 
things in China are becoming more worldly recognized. So hopefully it won't take too long. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed (laughs) that it will. But, you know, in the meantime, (laughs) um, just continuing on that path. Um, Are there any mistakes that you have made in the process so far for any of those entrepreneurs who are listening and interested in starting their own branding agency or just a company in general that you You know, I've made plenty of mistakes. Mistakes that I probably sit here and ask myself, what on earth were you thinking? (laughs) And then there's mistakes that are like, damn, I can't believe I did that, right? So Mm -hmm. I think the biggest advice I can give these entrepreneurs or future entrepreneurs is don't have that whole thing with fear, right? It's easier said than done because if you really break it down, fear is just false expectations appearing real. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people want to start their own company and they're afraid. They talk about it. They talk about it. They talk about it. 30 years later, they're 70 years old. They're still talking about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd say you know what, just get over it. Because no matter what you do as an entrepreneur, you're going to fail. I started three businesses, all of which failed. Oh, wow. Three different businesses. At one Mm -hmm. point, I thought I was going to be a coach. Okay. Like a life coach. Okay. Clearly, that wasn't the way to go. (laughs) (laughs) That way you tried. (laughs) I tried. I tried, right? And then at some point, I thought I was going to be like this personalized concierge for... um, like people who had extra income mm-hmm. and they were traveling. Mm-hmm. That didn't work either. Okay. So, you know, I, I failed over and over again, but you right. just have to be able to get up yeah, and just not have fear paralyze you. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of people would agree with you. And I think even on whether it's a small scale or a large scale, it's a matter of finding what you really like. And sometimes it takes a lot of trial and error, like you're saying. And I mean, I've been through it as well. I think a lot of pe- you, there's, there's no one direction everyone has a lot of different interests and you just have to try each one until you find one that kind of sticks yeah. right but you got to find one that makes you want to get up in the morning and yeah I mean you're saying that you're pulling nearly all-nighters just trying yeah. to get this magazine off the ground and talk yeah. about and your brand and trying to you know get Projects more collaborations and, yeah. and grow and yeah. that's kind of what it takes it's like that fire that to yeah. create a company but you have to be passionate enough about it yeah. in order to to give it the time that you need. And if you aren't doing those things, then there might be something wrong. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think it also, there's another point to this is the whole concept of creative living, right? So Mm -hmm. what exactly does that mean is that as an entrepreneur, you have to be willing to get creative. Mm -hmm. And a lot of young entrepreneurs, they are very afraid to think outside the box. Yeah, because you see what works, right? You're like, it's this fear of failure, like you're saying, and people invest money and time. And if it doesn't work, then you know, it's scary. I mean, it's just scary. scary. That's what it is. But of course, like what good thing has come from being easy, I guess. Yeah. I mean, look, if you've done it once, you can do it over and over again. True. Mm -hmm. It's true. And there's always a way to build yourself back up. That's right. So, um, are there any last things that you want to say before we conclude our conversation today? No, you know, I think we covered a lot of good grounds here and, um, I think it's important for a lot of people to recognize the fact that just because you have a product or service, it doesn't mean you can completely ignore branding because right. you're going to need to create a brand. Right. And um, how can people get in touch with you and follow you and um, connect with you if they are interested? Oh, yeah, sure. So you can check us out on the website, thechigroup.co, or you can check us out on Instagram at thechigroup, Twitter, Facebook. We're all right. there. All of, all of the above. <laughs> all of the above. Yeah, we're there. Awesome. So you can come find us. And you have a podcast? I do have a podcast. So I have a podcast. It's called the Brand Academy Podcast. Cool. And I dish out all my branding and marketing secrets. <laughs> That's where you guys can go to get everything you need. All, all the, the inside all the, scoop. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Chinese Graffiti Podcast. And if you liked what you heard, I would love if you could leave me a review and rating. 
And again, if you have any further questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Chinese Graffiti Podcast. Hope to have you here on the next episode. 再见。